I hope you have your Bible with you this morning, and if you do, I hope you will open it up and read along with us as we study the Word of God this morning. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read uh, Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9 this morning. I've chosen to continue in titling this, uh, well, the series is called Walk as Children of Light, and this message this morning is be called Light in the Home. I'll make a few comments about that in just a little bit, but let me read the text first and get to... Uh, We'll get right down to business here. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5, Paul writes these words. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Uh, some translations might read that with a singleness of heart, with, a, with an undivided heart. It's a phrase that's, uh, that's common to Scripture. Obey them with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. One big long sentence, verse 9, masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak to us from it. Thank you that the Holy Spirit instructs us. We want to be taught this morning. We want to know what you want us to know. We yield ourselves. We humble ourselves. We recognize that we don't have it all figured out. We, we need your help. We thank you that you've given it to us. We thank you that you are building us together to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, for your presence. May it continue to be built even this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And I told you I would have a comment to make. I actually have two comments to make before we jump in because I, I titled this Light in the Home and you may think to yourself, well, we're talking about bond servants and masters and that's kind of foreign language to us and typically when people preach through this text, Typically, they just sort of jump to the, uh, the, the translation that says, well, for us today, we're going to talk about employers and employees uh, because we don't really do bond servant and slave kind of thing. And if that would be the case, employers and employees, and it wouldn't make sense anymore to call this light in the home because uh, that, doesn't, that relationship doesn't happen in the home. Um, I'm choosing today uh, to, to keep it, well, I'm choosing today to keep the text basically where it belongs with bond servants and masters, and help us understand that context. I'm not saying it doesn't apply to employers and employees. In fact, I think it does. Uh, I'm, I'm confident in the Holy Spirit's ability to take what is taught from a text and bring application to our lives, like where we're at. That's how it always is. I think sometimes, in fact, we get in trouble. We, we begin to pull things out of context. This little side note. We can begin to pull things out of context in Scripture because we're so desperate to make it apply to our particular lives today. Here's the, here's the thing. I think that the Holy Spirit is very, very capable of instructing us. He's very, very capable of letting us know what God's Word has to say. So even though you may be reading words that were written a long time ago about situations that didn't necessarily, they look completely different than our situation does, I'm pretty sure, this is my, my statement of faith, I'm pretty sure that if we do our, our due diligence in digging into what that meant and what God is trying to say to those people, that He'll help us understand what it means for us today. So... And in that context, if the thrust of the series is that we are to walk as children of light, 
that that should affect how we interact with each other. And we've been just kind of walking through uh, Light in the Home has been the title for the last uh, number of messages because we've been walking through husbands and wives and then parents and children. And if you think about first century relationships between masters and bond servants, that actually would have happened in the home. That's where they were. That's, they, they lived, they may not have lived in the same quarters, but they, they lived in the same place. That's, that's, where, uh, that's where bond servants were at. That's where slaves were at. They lived with their masters. And so this, the, the, the interaction, the relationship between a master and a bond servant was actually visible, not just to those two, but to the family, to the people that lived together in that home, to the other servants and to the wife and to the children and to anyone else, especially when you consider that most businesses, even if it was a business kind of relationship, those actually happen in the home as well. And so this topic is still very pertinent. The other thing I want to say, one more com- comment about this before we jump in. Uh, I think uh, the ESV has a, has a note about this, all the way at the beginning of the Bible, um, about how they render the word doulos in, in uh, the New Testament, and ebed, I think, is the word in Hebrew, which is the Old Testament. It's the word for slave or servant. And I think uh, it, it's just worth noting that our own history with slavery here in the U.S. Uh, really colors our understanding of that word many times. Uh, rightfully so, I think we have, we should have pretty, uh, uh, pretty strong reactions against slavery as it happened in the 19th century in the U.S. and before that even. Before that, earlier than that, get my history right. We should not be okay with that, but we should also understand when the, when the Bible uses these words, we shouldn't be thinking about that kind of slavery necessarily. When you read scripture, there's a couple of reasons why people could be a servant or a slave. Sometimes it was voluntary, actually. It was, if there was a debt they had to pay off or if they wanted to avoid living in poverty, they uh, enslaved themselves. You could use that word. They, they put themselves in bondage to people as a way to stay out of debt or as a way to, uh, to survive. Sometimes that was a permanent situation. Sometimes that was a temporary situation. Now, there were also forced uh, times of slavery in the Bible, make no mistake, because if you were captured by an enemy or if you were sentenced by a judge to do so uh, or for some reason, then you were in a forced situation and you didn't really have a choice about it. The reality is in the Greek New Testament, the word doulos, which is the word for slave, uh, it, in many cases actually by the New Testament times, lots of those situations, whether it was voluntary or involuntary slavery, they actually were different than what you and I would probably think of. In fact, many of slaves, douloses, could own property. They could advance socially. They could, uh, that term of slavery might end if someone uh, paid for their debt or they themselves earned enough to pay for the debt, which tells you that they could earn some money, right? So don't think uh, 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 South uh, African-American slavery that we are used to thinking about in our own history. To try to help with that, that's why the ESV interprets this word as bond servant. By the way, First century Christianity, probably not very surprisingly, but first century Christianity, many of the believers, the first believers in Jesus were actually bondservants. Think about how this works. When you go to a poor country and people need a lot of help, they're very open to the gospel, aren't they? Because they need help. When you come to rich countries and we think we have all the answers, we're not as open to the gospel because we think we have all of it in our hands already. So the first people most receptive to the gospel that Paul is actually writing to, many of them were in the position of being in bondage or being a bondservant. So 
into that, he inserts the same kind of teaching that he's been inserting for husbands and wives, for parents and children, and now masters and bond servants. Let's begin this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 is going to be our first uh, sort of point we're going to make here. We read the text. It's pretty straightforward, actually. Bond servants, you should obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. I'm going to stop there, even though the sentence keeps going in Paul's uh, letter here. I'm going to stop there because that's the point I want to get across. If that sounds familiar, by the way, it should. If you go back and read about wives, it's going to sound pretty familiar, right? Hus or wives, you should submit your to your own husbands as to the Lord. If you read for children, children should obey your parents in the Lord. And now bond servants should obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. So the admonition is the same. What Paul is doing is strengthening the, the kinds of uh, relationships that are here on earth when there's times when someone has to be in charge and someone is not. That's how it works. And he strengthens that. He says, bond servants, you should obey your earthly masters. You should do so with fear and trembling. You should do so with a sincere heart. In fact, he said, you should do so as if what you were doing for your master would be like what you would do for Jesus. He actually makes that point. He says, in fact, what you are doing is what you're doing for Jesus. Now, he was not the first to make that point, right? Actually, Jesus himself made that point. When Jesus was teaching just before he was put on the cross, and he was teaching about what it's going to be like at the end, and he told this story about, about the sheep and the goats. You remember the story? Matthew chapter 25, I think we're going to find it. And he says this, the king will say to them at that point, as he's bringing the sheep and the goats, and he's, he's talking with the sheep at this point, he says, the king will say to them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So Jesus introduced the principle that what you're doing to other people you were doing to Jesus. Now, I, I think that would be an appropriate moment for us to just like pause for a little bit and take just a quick trip. We don't have to go very long. Quick trip down memory lane of just this past week or, or some very recent times and think about the reality of that. If Jesus, and now Paul reinforcing it with bond servants and their, and their masters, if Jesus says, hey, how you treat other people is what you're doing to me, I think we should ask ourselves, how are we doing? Is that a good reflection? Is that how we'd like it to be? I suspect, you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning, so I suspect just about every one of us, if we knew that Jesus was coming to town, we would prepare, we would roll out the red carpet, so to speak, we would prepare, and when he would show up, we would do everything we can to be as nice as possible, and to show him all kinds of deference, and to be kind, and to make ourselves look as good as we could, maybe, but, but we, would go, we would go above and beyond, right? The problem is, if this is true, where does that leave us if we think we don't have to do that with each other, or with other people? Bond servants, who understandably we could see are not in very nice situations, right? Worse situations than most of us find ourselves. Hey, bond servants, I want you to obey your masters. Even if you are saved, even if you realize that, that you have freedom in Christ, you should, excuse me, obey your masters with fear and trembling just as you would Christ. You should recognize that the way you're treating your master is a reflection of your heart towards the true master. Now, by the way, there's a second point we have to make here because Paul is also re representing a principle that Jesus taught, which I think should be pretty plain and simple for us, and we forget all the time. 
Remember Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And he ends that powder teaching by saying you can't serve God and money. God and mammon both. You can't do both. Now think about what, think about what this has to say when Paul writes to masters or to bondservants and masters. Quite literally, it's true, you can't serve two masters. You can't have two people telling you what to do. So somewhere there has to be prioritization, right? Somebody gets to save more than somebody else does. Because there's all kinds of people around us that want to tell us how we should do things. And many times, rightfully so, by the way. I, that's not a statement of like, don't let them do that to you. We got, no, 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 I'm not talking about personal autonomy. I'm saying rightfully so. There's all kinds of people around us that want to have impact on what we do. So the question isn't like, do they get to do that or not? The question is, who's going to have ultimate priority? And when Jesus says, you can't serve two masters, it must be true for a bond servant. He has a literal master. He has a literal man who's in charge of their life that they're indebted to, that they've enslaved themselves to either voluntarily or involuntarily, and they can't but help but be under that master. But they have to realize that there is a master above them that they're really answerable to. And everything I just said is true for all of us. There are almost invariably for every single one of us, there are people above us in the chain of command, so to speak. People who have authority over us. Again, I'm not speaking against that. I would tell you Paul is actually reinforcing that. However, every one of us needs to remember that there is a master above them that will, you are ultimately answerable to. It's why... Though you read all these words about how you're supposed to, and Peter wrote these words, uh, and we're gonna, you can read them in First Peter. I put a couple of references on your handout, by the way, that I'm not going to put up on the screen. We're not going to spend a lot of time with. But Peter wrote about this and said, "You should obey. You should be. You should be subservient to your masters. You should. You should honor the king. You should do all those things." And yet they themselves, when it came down to a choice between them and what the and what the leaders of the Jewish uh, uh, religion were asking them to stop preaching in Jesus' name, they said, "Hey, we can't do that. Whether it's right for you, I don't know, but we have to obey God." right? They showed the fact that there was a priority there. These verses are in no way going to ever, the Bible is in no way going to ever give us an excuse or a reason to not obey our earthly masters as long as they're not requiring us to violate our heavenly master. And I, I, I got to tell you, we, we give ourselves a really quick out and I think we have to be very careful. I think we use that excuse a little too often. I think we are a little too free to disobey. Maybe not even for religious reasons. We just don't want to obey. We're a little too free to, I didn't need to make that pun, but we're a little too free to, to uh, think we have personal autonomy and not have to yield. Bond servants, you should obey. By the way, Paul made the case as he wrote to Timothy that we should, that servants, bond servants, servants, slaves should obey their masters even if they're both believers, even if the master's a believer. They should no way think, well, I'm a brother to this person now, so we're on equal footing. They should still obey them. And Peter made the case that you should obey even if they're not believers because that's a way you can suffer just like Jesus did. So in no case are you free to say, well, I don't have to anymore. Well, we have to look at the other side of the equation. So let's look at the other side of the equation. Let's look at verse 9. Because this is the flip side. We talked about husbands and wives. We talked about parents and children. We talked about, well, I flipped them all back around. But 
bond servants and now masters. Masters, you should do the same to them. One verse Paul has for them. Masters, you should do the same to them, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. When he says, by the way, that you should do the same, he's referring back to verse 7, which says, uh, just before that, verse 7, verse, uh, end of verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So it's true for your bond servants. It's also true if you're on the other side of the equation. If you're the master, then you do the same thing. You do the will of the Lord from your heart. You do what you do unto others as if you're doing it for Jesus. So you could say the same thing. You could make the exact same case I just made for bond servants over here. You could make the case for masters over here. If you want to understand things correctly, the way you're treating your bond servant is the way you're treating Jesus. So make sure you keep that in mind. Which is, I'm a little surprised sometimes that Paul has a short verse for the masters and a longer verse for the bondservants. I suspect because his audience was primarily in the uh, first category, the bondservant category, and he wanted to make sure they didn't, they didn't throw those chains off as they realize they walk in freedom, that they don't have to obey their master anymore. Because it would seem to me it's, a lot, it's pretty easy for people who are in charge of other people to take advantage of that pretty quickly, right? To abuse that position pretty quickly. That's pretty common with us pretty common with us as humans. Once again, Paul's teaching is not just coming out of the blue. He's not just saying, hey, I, I've got some great ideas about how to live life, and so I'm going to just instruct a whole bunch of people. He is only bringing out what Jesus himself taught. In this case, in Matthew 7, 12, Jesus said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. We know this is the golden rule, for this is the law and the prophets. You should, this is how you should treat people. So masters, though you may be in a position where you can take advantage of your bond servants, you should not do so. You should recognize that if you want other people to treat you certain ways, you should also treat them that way then. This is like elementary rule number one that I think, that we teach our children and I think all parents should teach their children from the get-go. Elementary rule number one, as Chris just reminded us this morning, it doesn't change when we get to be adults, does it? You see, we actually struggle with it sometimes more than that. We actually actually see it often in kids and we say, hey, you don't treat them that way because if you don't want to be treated that way, and we forget that the same rule applies to us as adults. Don't talk about that person like that unless you want people to talk about you like that. Don't make that face or have that attitude or to be unkind or don't do that to others unless you want them to do that to you. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. Masters, stop your threatening. Stop using your position to get what you want. Stop leveraging what you have to take advantage of the person underneath you. You should know that their master and your master are both in heaven, and God shows no partiality. He's not going to say, well, you're right. You were in a little higher, higher position, so you, you could get away with a little few more things. In fact, when you turn to the book of James, which is, by the way, a restatement in many ways of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not, but James is a restatement of the Sermon on the Mount. And James says this, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And then he puts this short four-word phrase at the end, which I think is so necessary for us to hear over and over again. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Listen, I can work this right back into the prior point I just made about how we are treated and how we want to be treated. Because I sure, I sure love when people show me mercy instead of judgment. There's plenty of opportunity for them to be critical of me. I don't like when people criticize me. I don't like when I'm not right. But there's plenty of opportunity when that's true. 
And I really like when people show me mercy. I really appreciate it. I don't like it when I get judgment. Here's the thing. If that's true, then why don't I flip that around? Why am I less willing to give mercy to others? I've talked about this before. So if you've been to church here, you, you know I've said these things, kind of things before. I'll just say it again. It's another one of those places where it's so obvious how, how prone we are to justify ourselves because we know our situations. We, 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 we know there's, there's some reason or excuse why I can act like this or I can do this or I can, I can not do this because of my situation. And we forget that everyone has those things. And those are not excuses to be disobedient or excuses to not uh, have the walk as a, child, as a child of light. By the way, I'm not going to take time to do it this morning, but if you are in the position of having influence over other people, like the position of a master would be, so an employer, a, a leader of any kind, a, a mom or a dad, uh, almost all of us have some positions of influence, by the way, so it, it, this is going to hit almost all of us, but... If you ever, if we're in those positions and we are tempted to want to take advantage of the people below us because we can, because we have position and they don't, or because we have power and they don't, I would encourage us to reread and read and reread Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58 is in a wonderful, well, it doesn't always feel so wonderful because it's a straightforward address that God gives to Isaiah about the ways that the people in power have been doing what's wrong, taking advantage of those underneath them. So, I won't read it this morning. It's on your handout. Uh, you can circle it, star it, highlight it, do something if you want. Take a, take, a, take a look through that. I want to get to the verse that we skipped over because it's the verse that links both of these things together, that links uh, together what bond servants are supposed to do as they interact with their masters and what masters are supposed to do as they interact with their bond servants. These are, this is the verse, verse 8, that links these two together. Here's the principle. Here's why Paul can teach what he teaches. He says, you should know that whatever good anyone does... This he will receive from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Now, this is really just a restatement of some things I've already said, but I'm gonna, I want to bring it home because this is, this is really kind of a, a summary. We're gonna, we have one section left in the book, book of Ephesians, putting on the armor of God. We're going to get to that here. But as Paul is kind of buttoning up this, this uh, walking as new, in the new life that we have and walking as children of light, this really serves to undergird a lot of that. When we talk about the relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and bond servants, employers and employees, this undergirds, links together. It allows us to say the same kinds of things to both sides, though their positions are entirely different. And maybe you would say even entirely opposite to each other. It does not matter. It doesn't matter whether you're bond servant or free. It doesn't matter if you're parent or child. It doesn't matter if you're husband or wife. It doesn't matter if you're employee or employer. It does not matter. You and I ought to know that whatever good anyone does, we will receive back from the Lord. The way we treat people, we will be, I mean, it's going back to that principle. It's the principle that's in scripture of reaping what we sow. It's prevalent and it's true. You've probably already discovered it in your life. But I would suggest to us we probably haven't discovered the fullness of it because we haven't gotten to the end yet. Because it's not always immediate, is it? It's not like I do one good deed and now suddenly I have something good happening to me. In fact, it's often not like that. In fact, Scripture asks us, if you would search through Scriptures, ask us to be patient like a farmer, knowing that I'm going to plant and I'm going to work and I'm going to water and I'm going to weed and I'm going to work and I'm going to work and I'm going to work and the harvest is going to come at the end. Once again, Jesus tells us about these kinds of things. Now, I'm going to share the, the two opposite sides of how we can approach these kind of things. He says this in Matthew 6.1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So that's, that's, that's sowing and reaping. Because when you're, when you're sowing to get the, the honor and the accolades of the people around you, because you want to look like you want to be, you want to you want to look like you got it all together. You want to look like you're holy and righteous. You want to look like you like you've got it all figured out. Like you're the one that doesn't have any issues. Beware of that, because if you're going to go for the accolades and the approval of men, then you are foregoing what the Father has to give you. Now he says the exact opposite in Matthew 14, verse 13 and 14. He says, when you give a feast, on the other hand, you should invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. For they cannot repay you because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I am convinced, brothers and sisters, I don't know if I can say this in a way that, 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 that gets through. I'm convinced that most of us, I was going to say all of us, that's probably not completely true, but most of us, we look at the two verses I just shared and we go, yep, yeah, I agree, I understand all that. And I'm convinced that it doesn't reach very far down into here very often in our lives. That we are much more willing to settle for gaining recognition and honor from the people around us and forgetting that that's robbing us of what God wants to pay us at the right time. I see that because we often are very unwilling to do those kind of things when no one notices. We're unwilling to do those kinds of things when we won't get paid back. We're unwilling to show kindness or extend it to someone that we think either doesn't deserve it or is, is, is not going to be able, ever be able to, to return that favor. This is exactly the situation Jesus is talking about, the verse I have up here. He's saying, look, don't, don't throw a banquet and invite all the important people so they'll recognize you and then they're going to return it to you and then, then you're going to have your reward. You're going to get a nice meal. Congratulations. A little tongue-in-cheek, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. But he said instead, now Hoff, listen, do you know how I know this doesn't always sink in? Because this is not what we're doing, right? But when you're going to have a meal... Why don't you invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, those disadvantaged, those that have no hope of ever repaying you? You're never going to, it's a total lost cause. Because you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I'm not sure we're willing to wait that long. Which is the biggest mistake we'll ever make in our lives, Right? the biggest mistake. It's in fact, it's in fact, the, it's, it's the small picture of the giant picture in scripture. Are we willing to, like Moses, forego the riches of Egypt for the city that God built? That's a little bit of my paraphrase from Hebrews chapter 11. Are we willing to forego stuff that we're going to get right now for the future? Are we willing to suffer now for glory then? All those are wrapped around the exact same theme. And I'll tell you, Having meals and practicing that kind of righteousness stuff, like giving and praying, those are pretty tame. Those are pretty small compared to some of the bigger things, like the suffering for the glory. Like the foregoing of all the things like the rest of the culture is doing around you so that I can be faithful to God.
I want to remind you, us this morning of what Paul said in Galatians 3.28 as we're going to begin to bring this uh, to a conclusion. I want to kind of wrap up sort of the last couple of messages. We've gotten them kind of piecemeal because we had some breaks in between. I've referenced it to, to it lots of times. But Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I think in some respects, this is exactly what Paul is writing to us in these verses. If you would go back to, well, even earlier in chapter four and five, but certainly as you come to husbands and wives, as you come to parents and children, as you come to uh, masters and bond servants, it's the same thing he's trying to bring out in every one of those cases to understand that he's doing two things at once. He is, listen carefully, he is backing up and supporting the fact that here on earth we have roles and they come with authority. He's not, he's not getting rid of that. He's not saying those don't apply. He's saying in, within those earthly relationships, there, there, there is, there's authority structures that, that need to be honored. At the same time, while reflecting the truth of that, he's saying, but I need you to understand both sides, the side that's, that's down here and the side that's up here. Both sides need to understand that all of you, both of you, all of you have a master in heaven that you are answerable to. That when you are, you're all under his, you're all under his control and command, ultimately. Because you can't serve more than one master. I don't know if it makes sense to you, but I hope, I, I'm going to try to do this visually for you. Because I think this is how we often see things. And I think, this, I'm going to show you what I think Paul did for us. Now, if you can, I don't know how well you can read that. It's kind of small maybe for you. It says God at the top and then husbands and wives because that's how we often see it. And again, Paul is not disputing that that's, that that's the, the kind of relationship that God has put in place. If you would read the text, you'd see exactly that he says exactly that. And I taught that. Hopefully I taught that pretty clearly. But I do think it's slightly different because I think what he's helped us to see is that while husbands are to have leadership authority in their homes, the wife is to obey her husband as the Lord. In Christ, there is neither male nor female, right? That's what I just read to you in Galatians 3.28, which means she is answerable to God. Yes, husbands, more than to you. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying she's not answerable to you at all. I'm saying, I think you and I, if you're a husband here, I, that's who I am, we've got to be very careful because we recognize that she has to answer to God someday. And if I'm asking her or requiring her to do things that will require her, that make her make a choice between obeying me and God and putting her in that position, that's, that's, the, that's my responsibility. And that's not good. I debated doing this because I was hoping I don't send wrong messages when I do this or cause all bunch of people to be alarmed and start throwing tomatoes at me or stuff like that. You guys didn't bring tomatoes, did you? Because I think the same thing is true with what we talked about parents and children, by the way. You're going to see the exact same thing. Now, again, note, I'm not saying that that changes that parents aren't supposed to be in charge of their children. I'm asking us as parents to realize that we are raising our children such that they have to be answerable to God someday, and they need to know that. Which means it looks a lot more like this. Our children are, after all, God's gift to us, and we gave them back to him if we had them dedicated. They're not ours. Our children, after all, are created in God's image, redeemed by Jesus Christ, just like we are. Our children may not be there yet, but someday will be grown adults that will, like I said, need to know that they are redeemed by Jesus and answerable to Jesus. That doesn't change the fact that, you see the arrow still going, that doesn't change the fact that parents are to have authority over their children. 
you should. I told you how frustrating that message. I told you how frustrating this for children when parents, when dads do not have any, don't do any training at all. That is a good way to, uh, to exasperate or frustrate your child. Now, this morning, we're going to bring it right to this morning's text. Same thing. You're going to see the exact same thing happen. That uh, instead of seeing masters with uh, unilateral authority or, or, to, or this, this uh, positional authority over uh, bond servants that causes them to take advantage of it, I think they ought to see that bond servants are answerable to Jesus, to the Lord, to God, just like they are. God doesn't show partiality. That was the thrust of the entire message. I'm helping us to see that I think what Paul did was to say the exact same thing in all those relationships within our homes. Husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and bondservants. Now, if, if we're understanding that and picking that up, we can change that. I don't know if you see that change there. We can change that to employers, employees, because the same thing applies. If you are a, a leader or a, an employer or a boss of some kind or a supervisor of some kind, then, then you need to hear these words that were given to masters this morning. If you are an employee... And some of you may be more, more, more than one of those at the same time. But if you're an employee, you also need to hear these words. Again, our highest priority is to be answerable to God. But we have to understand that as we're working in these relationships on earth, we have authority relationships that are, exist. Again, I, I don't know if I muddled things up or helped things out. But I wanted to rest on this principle. Because this is the principle that linked all this together. We should know that whatever good we do, And you could actually apply, I could, I could have brought in plenty of other verses that talk about the fact that it goes both ways, right? We will stand before the judgment throne of Christ and we'll answer for whatever good we do or bad we do. But whatever good we do, as we walk as a child of light, as we honor our spouse, as we uh, raise our children, as children as we obey our parents, as a master as, as we lead our bondservants, as, as bondservants as we obey our masters, all those relationships, as we do that, whatever good we're doing, we are doing that unto Jesus and we'll receive that back from the Lord. doesn't matter whether we're bond or free. doesn't matter whether we're husband or wife. doesn't matter whether we're child or parent. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. Again, as I always do, Father, I rest upon your ability. Holy Spirit, I rest upon your ability to teach us and to uh, help us to see what we need to see. I give you full permission again this morning, Holy Spirit, to strike from the record things that I say that weren't correct, remove them from our memories, or bring them to my mind so I can correct myself. And those things that came from you that were from Scripture and that were what your Holy Spirit wanted us to hear, I pray, uh, give you full permission, Father, to just press them into our hearts for whoever needed to hear them in whatever ways they needed to hear them. May you be glorified and honored, and that means we want to submit ourselves to your word. We want to submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. We want to walk as children of light knowing that this new man that you are building inside of us is being changed from glory to glory to be in the image of our creator and to image of Jesus, your son. That as we walk in the kingdom of light, that there should be no darkness, that we leave that darkness behind, that that affects how we treat each other in our homes, but certainly even outside of our homes. But God, can I ask again this morning? I believe this is so central to our faithful walk with you. Can I ask again this morning, God, that it would begin in our homes? That our homes, the homes of the families that are here this morning, they would begin there. That we're not, I mean, we're worried about treating each other kindly here at church, but that, that, that's, just, that's just a natural expression or outgrowth of how we treat each other at home because that's what we do. 
Help us, Father, as husbands and wives, parents and children, those kind of relationships. Help us to remember that we are here to honor you. We're here to obey you with fear and trembling. We're here to demonstrate that we understand that principle by obeying and honoring and respecting and being kind to and, 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 and lifting up those around us, knowing that what we're doing for them, we want to, we're doing for you. And we will wait patiently for you to reward us whenever that might be. We agree with your word, God, that when that day comes in heaven, it will be totally, totally worth it. There won't be any part of us that regrets having foregone any kind of supposed reward here on earth for what's in store for us. We have not, our eyes haven't seen, our ears haven't heard, our minds haven't understood what you have prepared for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.